Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth. And today I'm talking to Nicholas Kontanopoulos, APAC Regional Head of Marketing at Adobe about how can marketers sharpen their senses when it comes to sales and understanding the sales process, why that's important and how it can benefit you in the long term. On that note, let's dive in. Nicholas, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, mate. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. Super excited, super excited about this. And I think it's a, it's a really important really important topic to uh to discuss that that arrangement between sales and marketing and i'm i'm really excited to talk about this with you considering you've had a sales background and now you are you're you're in a marketing role and uh and really bring the best of the two worlds together so you know i, I guess the first thing that i want to ask is why why should marketers care about that why should marketers develop an understanding uh, of sales I think it's a great question to lead out with. And, you know, let's be honest, sales can be a tough audience. As you said, uh, my background sales and, you know, you know, sales historically have been, you know, the culture that's been cultivated has been one of, you know, lone wolf, you know, uh, type mentality, you know, they're out fighting the good fight. You know, they, they own the relationships historically. If you go right back, they tended to be the the, the main interlock point for a between a customer and a brand, you know, so they had a lot of influence and power uh, historically as well within an organization. Obviously, that's evolved over years and, and more so in the last 10 to 5. It's got, you know, the, the, that dynamics changed significantly and that was sort of what drew me into the world of marketing as well. I saw that shift in terms of the roles between the two uh, sort of, key functions within an organization, if I'm honest, you know, but sales and marketing to me, I think are critical functions. I mean, all, all, all functions play an important role, but certainly in terms of the, when it comes to the perception of how a brand is perceived in the market and ultimately how customers think about it is often as a direct consequence of your sales and marketing efforts. So I think um, it's important for marketers to really understand sales. I think that's, if there's one thing I do feel that hasn't, you know, has been a problem for a lot of B2B organizations has been the fact that marketing and sales have sort of seen themselves as not necessarily joined at the hip. They've operated independently of one another. And I, I really do think it's important for marketers to really, you know, look at how they can, you know, engage with sales in a way that drives mutual benefit for both of them. Yeah. Um, I, I I often say you got to see them, you know, first and foremost as an internal customer. You know, we as marketers are trained to to look at our customers to to really understand what makes them tick. You know, to to build persona maps, for example. You know, that's a you know something that in more recent years became sort of a uh, an area of focus for a lot of marketers is to build you know persona maps and customer journey maps. You know, and I really encourage sellers, uh, sorry, marketers that think in a similar light and how they build a persona map of their sales organization, you know, and the sellers, you know, from a sales leader to a seller to a BDR, inside sales, because each of them will have different sort of, 
you know, hopes and fears, you know? So we really need to understand those hopes and fears and what drives and what makes them tick. You know, what are they, you know, what are their objectives? You know, what are their needs? And I think if marketers invest uh, time in understanding uh, sales through that sort of approach, that will help build, you know, better insights and in how they can better partner with them, uh, uh, you know, in the future. So that, does, does that, that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And and I, I love that you say, it, you know, sales is, is potentially marketers customer. Uh, I think I read this yesterday that someone was saying, you know, mark, marketers have two customers that they got to serve. And one is the actual customer. And guess who the the second one is sales. And, sales. Uh, and, and I think it's it's hard sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I feel like marketers are proud and they're like, you know, what we're doing is is important. And then when you talk about, hey, these are your customers, you really need in, in B2B, there's definitely an element that that marketing needs to support sales is is uh becomes a little bit of a sometimes it's a it's a hard pill to swallow for for marketers, I feel, maybe because they they look at it differently. Have you come across that concept that marketers are like, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I hundred percent. And I think sometimes it's also just down to you know the fact, like I sort of alluded to earlier, there was historical, uh, you know, a culture within sales that they were the, you know, they were. I mean, effectively worshipped. I mean, in some respects, if you look at how you know the sales organization, they have their um, obviously their um, what's it called the. Once a year, the winners club, you know, they get to go off and celebrate. They're basically, you know, held up and, you know, to the whole company. Look at these amazing individuals and what they've achieved and, and truly have achieved some really great works because being a seller is hard. I've, as you said, I've, I've carried a sales bag. It's one of the loneliest places you can be inside of a company. Yeah? I mean, you've got a lot of pressure and, you know, depending on the company you work for, you live or die by the quarter and the result you, you're delivering. So that's why I appreciate the role of sales, obviously having been out there. And I think this is where it can be a bit of a challenge if you haven't been exposed to what's involved in actually being a seller, how dependent you are on the rest of the organization also to deliver on the brand promises you're making. Yeah. So each and every day a seller is out there making promises, you know, we've got an amazing product, it's going to transform you. You know, they're very dependent on the rest of the organization to to actually deliver against that. And marketing plays a big role there. However, that said, you know, the way I look at it is a marketer, you have to be invested in understanding your sales organization because at the end of the day, what's our job? Our job is to bring a customer and sell it together, to have a conversation that leads to hopefully that customer seeing that our company can actually provide a solution to their needs that is going to help them transform their organization. It's going to help elevate their own profile in that organization. So it's really important that marketers understand that at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. All of our efforts all come to that moment when we can bring a customer and prospect, uh, prospect customer together with a seller for that, hopefully what will be a meaningful conversation. And that's why the alignment between sales and marketing is so important because the story that's maybe led to that conversation happening nine times out of 10 now starts with marketing. And this is the big shift. This is the big change that's happened in, in that sort of 10-year period I referenced earlier. Historically, when I started in sales, I tended to bring the relationship into the business. I tended to, to be the one that was that key catalyst for that deal to ultimately become what it did become. You know, I still had support, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I was bringing those names into the, into the, into the, into the um, database as such. However, now we know 
that's not the case. Most journeys start with a Google search, keyword search. You know, most customers will start with a question, you know, who's the best marketing automation provider out there, you know, or, you know, et cetera. And that's, that's the big change. I remember having a conversation with one of my sales leaders and we, you know, most of our careers spent in the technology side has been about selling solutions that solve problems for marketers and sellers. Yeah. So I remember having this conversation with one of my sales leaders saying, look, we talk about journey starting online, yada, yada. Have we ever thought about what that means for us internally as a sales and marketing leader? I mean, if, we, if we're telling our customers that 60% of the journey begins, we interactions begin before they've even spoken to a seller, what does that mean for us? And I remember that being the, sort of a, a key moment for me and my career and how I started making some changes around how we aligned with sales and sort of build a demand to revenue model around that. And I think that's really important. Yeah. So really understanding sales is quite critical. And how can you do that? Again, it can, I mean, you don't have to do 20 that's, years in sales. Like yeah, I did. That's definitely my next question. That's oh, definitely yeah. it. Let, you know, let, let's say, let's say I'm a marketer, right? And yeah. I join an organization. Yeah. So where do I, where do I start? I want to, it's, it feels a little bit on intimidating. I'm new. Yeah. Uh, I'm junior. There are these, and you know, in a lot of organizations, sales sales team are still put on a pedestal, and and they are Definitely. they're they're not very approachable. How do I? What do I do? What what is the first step that me as a marketer, junior marketer, starting an organization, or might not be even a junior? I'm a manager starting an organization, wanting to understand sales a little bit more. What should I do? Where where do I start? Okay, if we come in, I'm just seeing where we go with a junior personal manager first. Well, if I was a manager, I would create an environment where hopefully there's an opportunity for us to get our marketers embedded with the sale, our junior marketers embedded with the sales teams to go out and do, you know, ride shotgun with them, you know, or be part of calls, discovery calls, to be engaged with that sales cycle, you know, early on to, to sit with the inside sales team and listen to how a call calls, how they run their calls, spend time with the BDR. So creating an environment where my marketing team can get exposed to that would definitely be an op, op, uh, one of the first areas I'd start. And something I try to do with my, my own organization, it got a little bit different, difficult now, obviously, with the environment we're land, uh, operating in with people having to work remotely, but there's still no reason why someone can't dial in and listen in on a call. Uh, and, be, and it's a great way for marketers to also hear directly from a customer you know what what are those messages that the seller is using that are connecting that i can then maybe bring back into into the business so there is a mutual benefit for sales to see that as well and that's how you can architect that with the sales organization leadership team by saying you we'd love to embed our sell marketing team in a in a rotational way where they're being you know a fly on the wall so we can take those insights back into the business to help improve the content we're delivering you that can then ultimately then drive more effective conversations. So you can package it up that way. As a, as a junior marketer, obviously the value there is you get, you're getting richer insights in terms of um, learning what your customer, internal customer uh, requirements are and needed. And also get you develop a deeper appreciation and ultimately hopefully empathy for the salesperson in terms of what they're having to do and seeing, you know, it isn't, it isn't a walk in the park. You know, you have your good customers, your easy customers, and you have your very difficult customers. You know, and, and seeing that I think will help inform them and maybe change some perceptions that exist in the organization. But you have to have an open mindset. I think it's a mindset thing as well. So you need to make sure that you're doing that. 
you know, to architect that requires obviously having, you know, a sales leadership team that's open and responsive or, you know, willing to do that. And again, I think that's where the manager can lead that effort and helping build that, that sort of consensus with this, with the sales team that this is a, a something that could be beneficial for them. But yeah, you need to, as the, you need to go in with an open mindset. You need to put a put aside any sort of preconceived ideas you might have of what the seller's job is like. And again, I think that could actually help accelerate that. Like, because I think sometimes marketers might think the salespeople, all they do is go out and have lunches and uh, and play golf, which is, you know, I think a, <laughs> an unfair, like an unfair assessment of what, what's involved in their day-to-day job. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. One of the things that I found working with either our clients or, but interacting with marketers in, in sales, I've also found that sales usually has a lot more, under, much better understanding, much more granular understanding of the customer than marketers do. And, you know, if, 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 if we're trying to put a campaign together, if I, if I just speak to marketing, I, I, I end up with a bland campaign and I have to get that kind of that, that, that crispy granular insights from sales. What is your experience with that? And, and, you know, marketers getting that information from, from sales. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, uh, you know. Again, as we sort of touched on, sales does have that proximity to the customer that we don't have as marketers. I mean, marketing. I mean, if you want to think about it, you, we we sell a sell at forty thousand feet. You know, whereas because um, we're all in sales, this is the other thing that's really important. Actually, I meant to mention earlier. You know, I remember reading an uh, article once where a CEO used to walk around asking uh, everyone in the business what their value proposition to sales is. Yeah, everyone. He asked everyone, like not just marketing. He asked finance and and uh, procurement. I loved it. I I love that because end of the day, we're all we're all we're all in sales. We all have a uh, we all play a role in a deal getting closed. Yeah, so we need to understand that. And I think. Um, in terms of that's a great area to start with. Um, in terms of thinking about um, what is what is the value proposition you have? Uh, how do you, how do you support sales, and what is the value you bring to the table? Can you get just touch back on your question again because I've just lost my thread. No, I want to I want to talk about that. That's that sounds interesting. Um, so 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 the CEO went around asking what your value proposition is to to the sales team. Yes, so not 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 what's the value proposition of our co- co- company? What's your value proposition to the sales team? Yeah, because at the end of the day, the, the sales organization, and you you could expand this then to include customer like customer um, success teams as well. So you know, once you onboard a customer, because they, they play a role in the arguably, you could say it's it's still a sales role because they're still working with a customer, upselling, cross-selling. In a lot of cases, they carry carry numbers in that respect. So if you think about that, you know, it's it's bringing new customers in and then, you know, obviously keeping those customers and then upselling, crossing, uh, selling into them. The rest of the organization needs to look at how is it supporting that? You know, I give you a simple example. I remember having an argument with the procurement team, yeah, over onboarding an agency yeah, um, that was going to play quite a critical role for me in delivering on a core element of my go-to-market. And I remember we were getting into this tussle. They were saying, oh, we have a three-month process that we need to work through, whatever it was. I can't remember the specifics, but I remember asking the individual what their their value proposition to sales was, taking this idea and putting it into, <laughs> into, into flight. And it was really interesting because it 
the individual I was dealing with was stumped. She didn't know the answer to the question. And I said, listen, let me help you here. Your value proposition is helping me engage with the parties I need to engage with to create the pipeline that ultimately will convert into leads that will lead, you know, create into leads that will create and convert into pipeline that will help our sellers get to their revenue targets. And it's a great example of how all the different roles still play. I mean, she has an impact in this case, has an impact on revenue if, if what, if by not helping me get to where I need to get to. So I think when you approach things like that and think of it in that, in that you know, through that lens, it actually you know helps helps you build a unified approach around how you organize yourselves and ultimately serving the sales customer, uh, so the customers as well as the sell, sellers' needs. Yeah. So right, right. Yeah, it was a really great Nicholas. Nicholas, was that the last time that you used that uh, that the phrase? Last time <laughs> I, I've got another. Um, uh, What's it called? Every single time somebody says no to sales, you just turn around and be like, sorry, what is your value prop to sales? Can you can you just remind me of that again? Well, I coined, and then uh, define it for them. <laughs> this is it. Well, I, the other thing I have, uh, you know, as a bit of a joke, uh, is the SPU. Are you part of the SPU? Uh, and people look at you and go, what's that? And I say sales prevention unit, you know. So um, that's, uh, that's the other area that, yeah, and again, it's a serious matter. Again, I don't want to diminish the role of these supporting functions because they, they play critical and again, they play critical roles in ensuring the business doesn't wander into territory it shouldn't wander into by, you know, forging a partnership with a partner that maybe is insolvent. You know, so there's there's legitimacy around sort of what they're trying to do. But what happens as companies get bigger, they can become quite, you can get rigidity, you know, they become rigid, you know, in terms of, you know, and, and there's a, sort of status quo type mentality that starts creeping into the business. And that's a massive red flag for any company. And once you start hearing, oh, this is the way we've always done things, that should be an immediate flag for anyone to start thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe it isn't, it's time to rethink that. So yeah, that gets back to, because those, if you look at a lot of the frustrations that sales organizations often have, it is that sort of lack of you know, support that they will often say that they're getting in terms of helping them get across the line, you know. So from a marketer's perspective, that's where I try to ensure that the way we operate doesn't become rigid and enables us to have that flexibility and, and, and to be nimble enough to, to uh, make those adjustments that are needed. Yeah. Got it. The other question that I was asking was about, from my own experience, I find that, you know, in a lot of situations, a lot of, when I'm designing a campaign, a lot of the the wood for the fire of the campaign comes from sales, the mm-hmm. insights that, uh, yes. that that we want to create. And That's right. I remember you asking that. So I've yeah. got to, what, what is your experience with that? Yeah, I, again, it's a great question and I do definitely want to answer that. So I'm glad you brought us back to that one. Um, 100% bring them in. You should bring sales into the process of creating uh, content. Yeah, um, if you're going to create content campaigns, having them involved in the process serves so many purposes. Yeah, first of all, it helps ensure that you are focusing on the right potential problems, yeah, and 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 ultimately proposing the right solutions to those problems, yeah. As as we've already touched on, they they are they have that proximity to the customer, yeah, and and they're having those conversations. So so obviously talking to customers and sellers is quite a critical component in building out any sort of campaign. It's something that we're trying to um, bring into our mix is. Not just the sales, but also having customer, you know, uh, content councils. Yeah, where you have, actually have a customer 
sellers and even the channel, you know, partners involved in that process. You know, what are the product? Because that's the other one. You know, channel partners are also yeah. an important part of the mix. You know, they, they're also having a lot of regular contact with customers. And we, we work very closely with our partners as well in terms of creating content. So bringing those individuals in gives you that richness of insight. Also, the other cool thing is it helps you achieve your goal because if you're creating content they're bought into, you're then creating a, a unit, you're creating a red thread that then can run through the whole campaign from, you know, from creating the brand awareness, you know, side of things right through to hopefully seeing that convert uh, into revenue because the seller is using the same language. There's the messaging that you all are, have aligned around on. And, and more importantly, the customers had a consistent experience across that. That to me is really, that's where a lot of marketing falls falls away when you don't have that interlock with the sales organization. You can go create a beautiful campaign that gets engagement, but if the seller is using a completely different storyline, once the, the lead gets passed over to them, the customer gets a disjointed experience and says, well, okay, that wasn't what I was originally you know, buying into. Or you don't, your campaign falls over at the start because it's not getting engagement because the story you're telling or the, the problem you think you're trying to solve for isn't a problem for the customer in actual fact. And you miss that because you haven't spoken to your sales or channel or, or, or the customer themselves. So yeah, I think bringing them into the mix is quite a crucial component and, and more so in that, that they, if you get them in that, then, then they're invested in it and you, and then you're both building a campaign or content that you've, you know, got skin in skin in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, no one can complain. It's like, hey, well, you know, we built this with you. And I find that you don't get a lot of complaints back from the sellers then, you know, because they, they know that if it didn't work, that they were both invested in, in making that that bit of content come to life. And for whatever reason, if it didn't work, we can go back to the drawing board and, and, and look at, okay, how do we how do we learn from that? Um, yeah, and I, th- and, I, and I feel like sales puts an extra effort in those situations to, you know, whether they're using that content in our in their outreach sequence or whether, you know, the way they're talking to customers and they bring this content, they push it a lot harder versus uh-huh. here's a content piece uh, for you sales team 100%, and enjoy. 100%. 100%. And, and I'm, I'm truly lucky that we've got some really great sales leaders as well as sellers in the, in the mix and solution. And when we talk about sales, you got obviously... The, the seller him or herself that's out you know owning the you know, owning the, the the responsibility of bringing customers in or creating those conversations in conjunction with us but then you got the solution sales organization they're really uh, like in technology in particular you have a solution you have a big you know solution sales organizations play quite a critical role and they have a lot of knowledge those individuals tend to have a lot of you know industry and process knowledge around how a company operates and and how they you know how our solutions help solve for that so we tend to work quite closely also with the solution sales teams as well got it got it that makes sense now one of the things that i wanted to and this is a conversation we previously had and i'd like to maybe dig a little bit deeper into this you have a concept at, at, at adobe called brand to revenue framework Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people will be interested as well of what's the, you know, what's the ethos behind that? Why, why did it get created and what's it for? All right. So if you think about any business, any business, all businesses are all unified around the need to, to create profit. Yeah. And they, you need, you need to be building and growing. Yeah. They need to grow and be profitable in that growth. Yeah. So revenue is quite a, a key uh, anchor point that I think is critical for all marketers uh, 
to to be focused on when it comes to sales. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they're measured and they live and die by their revenue number that they own. And ultimately, I believe marketers should use the revenue and pipeline uh, numbers as their two core KPIs. Now, not just to pay lip service to it. I mean, a lot of marketers will say, yeah, I'm, I'm revenue focused, et cetera. But I mean, really anchored against that, you know, in terms of, you know, if specifically on the pipeline number is the first category and secondary, the revenue. And why I put it in that order is because we create pipeline, then obviously the sale takes ownership of that and then it's up to their up to them to then bring it home. Now we still support them through that process, but there is a they they take the lead once it goes from pipe, you know, once it becomes pipe, they take the lead and then converting it and we support it. So I, I, I see the priority for me and my team is building the pipe and then ultimately, but I still want to um, see that pipe convert so we stay invested all the way through. So the revenue element is quite important to that, you know, brand to revenue uh, model. So, so we use that, we go from brand, we go from revenue and we reverse engineer back from there. Okay, what do we, in order to get to that revenue number, what do we need to do? So you use a reverse waterfall model, you start building out your pipeline point of view in terms of what you need to get in terms of pipeline uh, in order to get to that revenue number. And then you need to start thinking about, okay, how do I build the pipeline that's needed to, you know, to, to help us get to revenue? I then need to start thinking about the campaigns and ultimately, you know, that then leads you to then start thinking about, okay, I need to create brand awareness and all, all, all the good stuff that happens in between that. So having a clear framework and model that thinks about everything from revenue and reverse engineers itself back to then creating, you know, brand awareness is really critical. And then understanding the key the key in uh, key interlock points there. So when you think about it, there's a lot of different stakeholders involved in that. Yeah, you've got everyone from comms teams to sales teams to inside outside sales channel you know bdr teams etc and then the partnerships the ecosystem there's a whole ecosystem that builds around that that you need to think about in source outsource you know so you've got you know third party agencies you're working with that are supporting that so really developing a clear understanding of that ecosystem and all of the key interlock points that occur from brand to revenue is really important. So we've got a model that enables us to look at, you know, you know that entire flow, and 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 look at the ecosystem that supports that. Now we haven't perfected this by any stretch of the imagination, and it is a journey, not a destination type of approach. It's constantly evolving, it's cost constantly adapting because, again, the landscape we're operating across, as we've seen in recent times, is is constantly evolving and adapt, uh, changing on us. So. But having that um, that sort of framework and that model that is has uh, you know flexibility built into it that is is agile enough to adapt because it has, has to have the agility in there that can adapt to sort of changing uh, needs of the business is really important. So for us, yeah, we built this brand to revenue framework or model. It's an engine as such. I would say it's think of it as an engine. You've got core components in the engine. You know, we've got you know the front end, which so like I said, once we've built out an understanding of what our revenue targets are, our pipeline targets are, etc., we then start, okay, what are the what are the messages, what are the audience segments we want to go after? What are the what are the um campaigns that we then need to think about building and you know the programs, campaigns and tactics and and how they map against this um this engine is really important. And then you know and then we work basically looking at how our campaigns perform on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis and, and make and use the insights coming out from the data to inform those decisions of where we need to, to, to make any adjustments. 
But the key there, just to close out that rather long answer to your question, is there's for that to work, there needs to be robust discourse taking place across all of stakeholders involved in that. Yeah, because there's no one individual owns it. I guess you could say the MD owns the, the responsibility and he or she's responsibility is to make sure everyone plays nicely with one another in, in, in terms of that happening. But if everyone's invested in that type of my uh, framework and understands their role, I find it, it, it really beneficial. You know, it is a journey. It, it's not something you can just do in one quarter. I mean, I've been building the one I'm on now for a couple of years. So, yeah. Got it. Got it. No, I appreciate that. And I, I think it's f- very fascinating to hear, you know, how you approach it and how you put these frameworks in place. So I, I appreciate that. Okay. I have a couple of rapid questions that I want to ask you, right, before before we wrap up. So the first question I want to ask you is what is one resource? It could be a book, blog, podcast, talk, whatever it is that fundamentally has changed the way you work and live or, or live. Well, aside from your podcast, of course, uh, <laughs> I, I would say um, I'm going to go Joe Rogan, actually, podcast. I've been a big fan of his for many years. I've listened to him for it's at least four years now, um, four or five years, and I love the range of diverse thinkers he gets. You know, So he has you know, economists, politicians, entertainers, Comedians, business leaders, you know, Elon Musk was on there not long back, you know. Elon so Musk smoking weed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it really is, I find it really interesting. And and the diversity of thinking that comes across that podcast is amazing. And it, you know, I often gets my brain juices fired up. So uh yeah, he'd be the one that I'd say I find uh really interesting. Uh in, individual that you know challenges a lot of um big topics that are, are being wrestled with out there. No. All right. Sounds good. Question number two, if you could give only one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? One advice, be bold, you know, be bold, you know, step out, you know, be willing to step out on a tightrope without a safety net. You know, um, I think if you want to, if you want to make, if you want to make, you know, uh, put a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said, you've got to be willing to, uh, to, to be bold and take a take a step out on a tightrope without that safety net. I think that's one of the biggest fear factors I think a lot of people face is being able to put themselves out there. And I think you've got to be willing to do that, you know. And, and to do that means, you know, surrounding yourself as, as a leader with, you know, smart people, people that might be smarter than you and being comfortable with that, you know, uh, understanding what you don't know and then building teams around you that help fill in the gaps of where you might have knowledge gaps or capability gaps and, and then, yeah, and, and also encourage that sort of mindset and also enable them to, you know, I don't know who said it, but, you know, fail fast, you know, fail, uh, you know, fail often, fail fast, fail forward. Someone said once, and I really like that, you know, so having that mindset, I think is really important. So yeah, be bold. Yeah. Question number three. Yeah. And what, what are, what are the influencers that you follow in the marketing space? And you can't say Joe, Joe Rogan. No, um, that's easy. Martin Lindstrom's a big one. He really influenced me early on. He wrote a great book called Brandwashed. He's written loads of great books, so I'd read every one of his books. David Rowan, another guy, he's a great wired editor. Uh, he wrote a great book, um, uh, No Bullshit Innovation. Highly recommend that as a read. Gary Hamill, you know, he wrote the first book of his I wrote, uh, read was uh, Leading the Revolution, I think it's called. And he's a management thinker, so fantastic thing thinker. Brene Brown, she's great as well. Uh, Dare to Lead, I think, is her book. Last one, Nancy Duarte, she's also fantastic. I, I really into presentations. I love presenting, and she's she's got a great set of books on how to create, you know, impactful stories and, and presentations. So, 
There's a few. That's, that's awesome. That's plenty. I love it. I love it. I've got to put that, put those in the show notes. So, uh, all right. Last question. Question number four is what is something that excites you today about B2B? Oh, um, I just the speed of change. Uh, you know, the speed of change is, is it's, we're, again, Gary Hamill, I think, said this, um, you know, change is changing in itself. And that, that excites me. I think in terms of the pace of change, the, you know, each day you wake up, you know, there's a, you know, I think we were saying this earlier before we started, you know, there's never a dull day. Yeah. There's always something um, happening. And I think the B2B world in particular is changing. You know, we're seeing the consumerization of technology. We're seeing the consumer sort of the expectations that we have as consumers porting their way over into the B2B world. You know, as a B2B buyer now, I, I want that Apple experience. I want that, you know, the same experience that I get in in, in Burberry, you know, or wherever it is I, I go to that provides a sort of a high touch sort of, you know, experiential type experience. You know, I want that in the B2B space now. So this is the challenge for us as B2B marketers. How do we, how do we step up to that challenge? Yeah. And that's a quite exciting, I think. It is. It very much is. Uh, I love that. Nicholas, this has been an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. I mean, there was just, I think there's a lot of interesting points that, that you raised and, and we covered. So, uh, so thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, matey. And I uh, look forward to hopefully getting to catch up with you in person at some point when I'm down in Australia next. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, Nicholas. Cheers, matey. All right. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack growthconnie.org forward slash slack thanks again for all the support and we're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one